Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and, with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm your host, Matt Popovitz, and with me is my co-host, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, it's it's great, as always, to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm excited to talk about like I've, this whole conversation. I'm just so excited that we're doing this. I, I know it sounds like we, we just say that about every topic know, and every guest, but, 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 but it's true. Like we, we yeah. do get excited for these guests. We get excited for these topics because we, you know, we've been really blessed. Like we've been able to, to bring in some really incredible people yeah. um, who've been willing to, to come on the show and, and talk to us. And, and today's, today's no exception to that. We, we get to talk to someone who is like truly brilliant and truly respected in her field. Like she's been named like one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world. And she's going to, she's going to be on our podcast, our podcast. So, so yeah. what, what is it we're talking about today, Rachel? So we're going to be talking about the environment and climate change with the one and only Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. Um, and it is just, I, I, I can't express what an honor it is that she took time to talk to us. You know, a lot of times just when we schedule this, it's, we find people that we know, or we have connection with, or yeah. we'll reach out to people we don't know, but it's just kind of like, you know, Hey, you want to come on our podcast? And she was somebody I almost didn't even bother reaching out to. Cause I thought I she is so busy. She is so in demand. And to say she graciously came to talk about us, and you know why? It's because she loves the environment. She loves yeah. climate change, and she wants to talk about it. Yeah, she 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 she's so passionate about this, and so incredibly uh, articulate that she's in demand from 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 everyone and everything. So she's written for the yeah. New York Times. Uh, the other day, I saw she was on Jimmy Kimmel Live talking about this. Like she is everywhere, and yet today she's also with us. So in in case you're you're not aware of who Catherine Hayhoe is, she's an atmospheric scientist who does research focusing on understanding what climate change means for people and the places that we live. She is the chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy and uh, a Horn Distinguished Professor and Endowed Professor of Public Policy and Public Law in the Department of Political Science at Texas Tech University. She has a new book that's out right now called Saving Us, A Climate Scientist's Case for Hope and Healing in a Divide world. And she also hosts the PBS digital series, Global Weirding. She's been named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People, the United Nations Champion of the Environment, and the World Evangelical Alliance's Climate Ambassador. That, that's a huge and Gosh. incredibly impressive bio. Yeah, what a and pedigree. She, yeah, and she's, she's here today to talk about climate change. But, but in particular, what, what makes Catherine so kind of unique in this conversation is, and this is what she's focused on in her work with the New York Times, and she's got a TED Talk that's been viewed by like millions and millions of people. Mm-hmm. What makes her so unique is that she comes at all of this from a faith perspective. She's yeah. very open about the fact that the reason she's a climate scientist is because she's a Christian. She's not a climate scientist in spite of being a person of faith, but right. she says because she's a person of faith. And and that makes a lot of people's ears perk and kind of tune in to what she has to say. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear from her um, because she brings that perspective. Cause I know that uh, of all things, the environment and climate change, climate change can be divisive among Christians. And it feels yeah. like such a political issue that it's like, how does a person of faith get involved? And um, I just, I'm really hopeful that she will bring um, that, that joy and that perspective that we see in her interactions to this conversation. Because I got to tell you, Matt, when you talk about the environment, it's one of those things where it's almost so overwhelming and so scary. I'd I'd rather just not think about it. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a divisive issue. Um, It's certainly kind of a downer issue to talk about. Like, Hey, want to talk about how the planet's dying and how we're all culpable in it? Like who wants to, who who wants to to talk, who wants to talk about that? So it's divisive. It's kind of, it's kind of depressing. And yet one of, one of the things I'm going to ask her is how do we have, how do we have effective conversations about this with people where it's not all of a sudden this divisive and depressing thing around the kitchen table? Like, like how do you Mm -hmm. actually talk to somebody in a meaningful way about this and, and, and engage in the issue without just you know, everybody turning off or turning away or getting into an argument with you. And, and I think she's got something to say about that. In fact, I, th- I know she does. And so I'm, I'm excited to hear from her on that, on, on that aspect of this. Okay. Well, we should get to it right away because um, as we all know, like we, we're running out of time. We, we are, we have a limited <laughs> amount of time. We want to <laughs> maximize, 
Yeah, the amount of time yeah. we have uh, with our guests today because she is fantastic. So here is our, our conversation with Dr. Professor Catherine Hayhoe. Catherine, I'm so thankful that we get to talk to you today. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you for having me. So, so tell me about the new book. What's it about? What are you hoping to accomplish with it? So, well, let's back up just a second. I am a climate scientist and married to a pastor. Uh, so I spend a lot of time talking to people about what I do and why climate change matters and why I am a climate scientist because I'm a Christian, not despite that. And so in my new book, Saving Us, um, I talk about how climate change matters to every single one of us. If we're a Christian, I truly believe that we would be out at the front of the line demanding climate action if we take the Bible seriously and we understand how this issue affects the poorest and most vulnerable, the least of these among us. But I also talk about how, hey, if you're a parent and you care about your kids, if, if you live in Texas and you care about the fact that we have crazy hurricanes and droughts and floods and they're just getting worse, no matter where you are, climate change is already affecting you. And there are so many amazing things that can be done to help fix it. And for each of us as individuals, it all begins with a simple step that nobody does. And you might think, oh, she's going to talk about recycling, but no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? The one thing that nobody's doing that we all need to be doing, that's the first step that will help fix this whole thing is talking about it. Only 14% of people in the U.S. talk about climate change. And if you don't talk about it, why would you care? And if you don't care, why would you ever do anything about it? it why aren't we having that conversation? Is it, is it because it's become so politicized? That's a big part of it, especially in... Christian communities, we feel like, well, I don't want to start a conversation because I'm just going to get in an argument with somebody. And, or we might feel like I'm just so overwhelmed and worried by this thing that it's just going to be depressing to talk about. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to talk about depressing things. I feel like the world is right. bad enough as it is. I don't want right. to bring up any more. And then two, there's a factor where we feel like, well, I'm not a scientist. And so, you know, if somebody asks me a question, if I'm supposed to talk about what's happening to Antarctica or polar bears, what am I supposed to say? Right. So in this book, Saving Us, which I passed that title by my husband, I was like, is this a bit heretical, Saving Us? <laughs> He's like, no, it works. It works. Because <laughs> you're not talking about like spiritual salvation. Yeah. I was like, no, we're talking about, you know, the, the salvation of us humans. That's what it's about on, yeah. on planet Earth. It's not about saving the planet. The planet's going to be here long after we're gone. It is literally about us. Mm. So what I realized is, is that we can have incredibly constructive conversations, positive conversations that leave it, that bring us closer together instead of driving us further apart. But we have to have those conversations beginning with the heart, not the head, hmm. beginning with what matters to us, what we care about, what we're passionate about, who we are, and then connecting that directly to things that we can do, not just as individuals, but in our churches, in our schools, in our place of work, in our neighborhoods, in our um, social circles, coming together and talking about how the world can and should be different, and then doing everything that we can together to make it that way, that's how the world has changed before. And if you look at how the world has changed before, Christians were always involved. Look at slavery, look at civil rights, look at all kinds of ways the world has changed. It was when Christians used their voice to express love for others. Yeah. Our faith really drove us to the, the front lines of that action and those conversations. But, but my question is, like, how did we get to this spot where things around climate change are so polarized? Like, how do we get here to where we can't have a conversation because people don't want to be divisive? Yes. Well, I can tell you that 30 years ago, it was not a divisive issue. 30 years ago, when you polled conservatives and, and liberals, Democrats and Republicans, and you asked them, hey, is this thing real and does it matter? You got the same numbers out of both groups. So what happened in the intervening years? It was deliberately polarized, deliberately. Because here's the crazy thing. Well, so first of all, let's back up a second. What, what is climate change and why is it happening? Yeah. Our planet has a natural blanket of heat trapping gases that keeps us just the perfect temperature for life. So the sun's energy shines down and hits the earth and then the earth gives off heat energy, just like our bodies do. And then this blanket of heat trapping gases traps the earth's heat energy 
just like a blanket keeps us warm at night. And that's why we're not a frozen ball of ice. It is literally, I believe, an incredible part of the design of planet Earth to make it perfect for life. So if this blanket is natural, what's the problem? The problem is, is that by digging up and burning coal and gas and oil, we are producing more and more heat trapping gases that are building up in the atmosphere, wrapping an extra blanket around the planet. And just like you would, if someone snuck into your room and put an extra blanket on you in the middle of the night, you wake up sweating. You'd be like, hey, who did this? I didn't need this. That's exactly what's happening to our planet. And the crazy thing is 90 companies are responsible for two thirds of this blanket since the beginning of the industrial era. 90 companies. And if you go if you go to Wikipedia and you look at the list of the richest companies in the world, guess who's on that list? (laughs) Most (laughs) of those companies. So when they realized 30 years ago that, hey, people are starting to take this whole climate change thing seriously, and Democrats and Republicans agree that it's a serious thing that they might have to start doing something about, what's that going to mean for our bottom line? They looked over at the tobacco industry, and I'm not kidding, this literally happened. And they're like, oh, look at how long they were able to delay action on tobacco and smoking. Let's hire some of their spin doctors. Let's get some of those fake experts they use, dress them up in white coats and say that they're scientists, that they're not sure about this whole thing. And how do we know it's not volcanoes or a natural cycle? And so they deliberately set out to polarize this issue and to polarize politicians over it Mm -hmm. to delay climate action. And I'm very sorry to say that we in the Christian community, we were target number one for this disinformation. And to this day, Christian organizations continue to spread fossil fuel funded disinformation. So, so why, why is it that, that Christians were targeted in this effort, do you think? Well, when those, when those companies thought, well, who, which politicians would be more friendly to what we're doing, they, they decided through various processes, which I am not part of, that Republicans would be more amenable because they tended to be maybe in states that had more oil and gas resources. So they were more amenable to, you know, to, to delaying climate action for the short-term benefit of their state. Um, and so at that time, we had already seen and you've probably talked about this before on previous podcasts, we had already seen a deliberate alignment of conservative Christians with conservative right-wing politics, um, thanks to the work of Jerry Falwell and the Moral Majority, and the desire to keep Christian schools racially segregated. I'm very sorry to say that was part of the motivation in politicizing what we believe. Mm -hmm. And so we had already seen Christians moving to the right-hand side. And it wasn't as if Christians woke up one day and said, oh, well, I'm deciding to reject physics that we've known since the 1800s. I mean, most people don't do that, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Because that's how long we've known about this, literally, since the 1800s. So most people don't wake up and say, I'm going to reject all the science. They wake up and you go and you get on Facebook and you look at what people that you know are posting and sharing. And then you go to the, you know, to the AM radio and you listen to hosts who share your political values. You listen to politicians that you vote for and what they're saying. And when they start saying, oh, climate change isn't real or it's just made up or it's a hoax or those scientists are just part of this liberal atheist agenda to further the antichrist. I actually literally get emails that say that. (laughs) Those are quotes. Then we say, oh, well, if I'm a Christian, then this is a person who I agree with and respect on most issues. So I don't really have an opinion on, you know, 200 years of physics myself. So I'm just going to go with what they say. So Mm -hmm. that's how it happened. So Pardon my ignorance, but oh no no no! I, 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 I know I know you're you're especially equipped to deal with people like me who just don't know a lot about climate change. Is is it is it now a proven fact that the climate change that we are experiencing? Because I think there's a lot there's a growing kind of universal agreement of like yeah the, the climate is changing things are getting warmer at least at least among the people that I talk to. Yes. Um, is it now like? just scientific solid fact that that is that's man that's due to man's activity like that's man-made warming i'm not gonna let you let woman off the hook there okay <laughs> we're, we're all guilty we're all guilty for warming the planet i'm happy for it to be more than 50 percent that <laughs> yeah there you go yeah. no uh so yes so so as of now scientists are 99.9999 percent sure and that is a literal number not only that climate is changing but humans are responsible why are we so sure it's because first of all we've known about this for a long time 
since the 1800s. So we have had not just years, but decades of scientists studying this. The second reason that we're so sure is because we've checked every other factor that has caused climate to change in the past. And what people don't realize is that's what we climate scientists do. We are the ones who learned and told people that it's been warmer before and that natural cycles exist and that volcanoes affect climate. That's actually, it's us who studies that. So when we see climate changing, we don't automatically assume, oh, it's gotta be humans. That would be like, imagine that you had sort of a low grade fever that was going up and down from day to day, but it started to go up and up and up week by week by week. And you went to the doctor and you walk into the doctor's office and you tell them about your symptoms. And without running any tests, the doctor screams Ebola and runs out the door and returns with a hazmat suit and bundles you into it. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. So that's the same thing as humans immediately assuming it's, or sorry, as scientists immediately assuming it's gotta be humans. No, we check all the normal things first. So we said, okay, could it be the sun? Well, it turns out the sun's energy has been going down the last 40 years, not up. So according to the sun, we should be getting a little bit cooler, not warmer. And then we say, well, what about the orbital cycles that cause the ice ages and the warm periods in between? Aren't we just getting warmer after the last ice age? Well, so first of all, to even ask that question, we have to agree the world is older than 6,000 years. Because if it isn't, then there are no ice ages. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just putting a caveat there. Yeah. But if we're willing to agree that, that, that it is, where are we on the ice age cycles? Well, it turns out that our warming peaked about six to 8,000 years ago. And since then, the planet was very, very slowly, gradually cooling. Don't get alarmed. It wouldn't be mm -hmm. another ice age for another, you know, 1,500, 2,000 years. Okay. But it was very gradually cooling until the Industrial Revolution, in which mm -hmm. case the temperature started to shoot straight up. So then we say, well, what about those natural cycles that we get in Texas, like El Nino? You know, sometimes it's hotter, sometimes it's wetter, sometimes it's drier. What natural cycles do is they just move heat around the climate system. They can't create it or destroy it. That would violate conservation of energy. So when it gets warmer in one place due to a natural cycle, it has to get cooler in another place. And what we see today is the whole atmosphere is warming, the whole ocean is warming, and you've got all the ice melting too. That's how we know it can't be a natural cycle. And then the last argument people often have is, well, what about volcanoes? And people say, well, I've heard that one volcanic eruption produces more pollution than all the humans on the planet, you know, in a year or three years or 10 years or more. Unfortunately, that is not true. In fact, volcanoes, they produce particles that reflect the sun's energy back to space like an umbrella. And so a really big volcanic eruption cools the earth. It doesn't heat it up. It cools it for anywhere for a couple of weeks up to a year if it's a really big one. But the last really big one we had was in 1992. It was Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. So we carefully tick off all of the reasons why climate has changed in the past. And it turns out they all have an alibi. And then we say, okay, well, since the 1800s, we have known that digging up coal and gas and oil and burning it produces heat trapping gases. We have measured how those heat trapping gases are building up in the atmosphere. And we can calculate, in fact, the very first scientist to calculate this did this in the 1890s. We can calculate how much heat that extra blanket is trapping. And then we can look at how much the planet is warming. And the first scientist to look at how much the planet was warming did it in 1937. So by 1965, not only were scientists so sure that climate was changing and that humans were responsible, but they were so worried about the fact that it is changing faster than any time in the history of human civilization. And that's why it matters. Again, it's not about the planet, it's about us. So they realized that this thing was changing faster than any time we'd ever seen. And we've got two thirds of the biggest cities in the world, like Houston, within a few feet of sea level and sea levels rising. We've got all kinds of poor people living off a dollar or two a day and their crops are failing because droughts are getting stronger. So scientists were worried enough about the risks of climate change to people, not to the planet, to formally warn a US president about the dangers of climate change. And that U.S. president was Lyndon B. Johnson in 1965. That is how long we've known about this. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So, so then we've known about this since 1965. And 
but there has seemingly been like 60 years of, of largely inaction, right? In terms of like drastic steps to try and ad- address this. I mean, it's much more uh, in the atmosphere now, so to speak, pun intended. Uh, yes. But, but it's, but still, my sense from you is that we have a, a long, long way to go in terms of taking drastic action that we would need to take to really move the needle on slowing climate change, right? Well, yes, but we are already on the path. So what do we have to do? When you ask people, well, you know, what do we do to fix climate change? Most people will say recycle, but that's, it's a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong, but that's not going to fix climate change for us. What's going to fix climate change is weaning ourselves off fossil fuels, replacing our energy with clean sources of energy. At this point, we have to prepare for the impacts we can't avoid anymore. You know, um, our 100-year flood zones are no longer 100-year flood zones. So if your house is in a 100-year flood zone, you're going to get flooded every 10 years or every five years, not every 100 years. So we need to prepare for the fact that the world has already changed. And then here's the really crazy thing that I feel like hardly anybody knows. Too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, that's the number one heat-trapping gas, carbon dioxide, too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is a bad thing. Just like, you know, you could take too many vitamins, right? You can eat too much of one food. I heard a story once about a man who ate too much squash and he literally turned orange, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So too much of anything is not good. Too much medicine can kill you. So so just enough CO2 in the atmosphere is good, but too much is, is, is bad. But it turns out that putting more of that CO2 back into the soil and back into trees and back into plants and crops, it is good. It's like miracle grow on steroids, one, one ag professor told me. So smart agricultural practices and restoring our wetlands and planting trees and conserving our natural ecosystems, which of course helps to provide habitat for animals. So we don't get like the transmission of diseases from mm-hmm. animals to humans as much mm-hmm. as we do today. Yeah. All of those things are part of the solution. And they're already happening here in Texas. We already get 23% of our electricity from clean sources, from wind and sun, and they don't produce any pollution. So when we burn fossil fuels, they produce heat trapping gases, but they also produce that pollution that you can see sort of hanging in the air over a city. And when you breathe it in, it can even burn your lungs. If it's really bad, you can sort of feel it burning your lungs. Well, air pollution from fossil fuels, just the air pollution, like I'm talking about the stuff you can see, not the carbon dioxide that causes climate change. Air pollution from fossil fuels is responsible for almost 9 million premature deaths every year. Wow. 9 million. And just just for perspective, where we are with COVID right now, we're at about four and a half million premature deaths. Um, One in every 500 people in the United States has lost their lives due to COVID. Every premature death is a tragedy. Yet somehow we, we know about COVID, but somehow the fact that burning fossil fuels causes 9 million a year, somehow that's that's escaped our notice. Mm-hmm. And so there's all kinds of benefits to getting our energy from clean sources immediately, as well as in the future for climate. When I do have this conversation, mm-hmm. what, what people tend to focus on is the things that they stand to lose if we really take climate change seriously. And, and it, it, for me, at least, it's been a difficult thing to argue against because n- nobody wants nobody wants to lose comforts that they enjoy, uh, freedoms that they hold dear. But there is a perception that there are a lot of comforts and freedoms that will go away if we really try to address this seriously. So, you know, so for example, they're going to try and take away my beef, which is a big thing where I live in Texas because because you know large cattle ranches and beef farms uh, produce a ton of of gas that hurts the environment. They're going to try and take away my gas stove because burning burning natural gas is ultimately not good for the environment. They're going to try and take away my truck. Uh, I don't want a battery-powered truck. I want a gas-powered or diesel-powered truck that is a little stronger and faster. I don't have to recharge every 200 miles. Th- that's what I want. And they're and, and they're going to try and take these things away. And those have those have practical impact on my life. I can't eat the food I want. I can't cook it the way I want. I can't even drive to the restaurant that I want in the car that I want. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that stops mm-hmm. people. So what do you say to that? Well, you are totally right. You've hit the nail on the head. And let me just say that it's no accident that that's what we think because we are told these things. Mm. People are telling us that the only solutions are bad. 
that it's about returning to the stone age, unplugging everything we have, giving up, you know, not eating, not traveling, not driving, not having children. I've even heard, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. not doing anything. And to be totally honest with you, if those were the only solutions to climate change, I'm not sure I would want them either. Hmm. So instead of talking about what we stand to lose, I think it's important to stand, talk about what we stand to gain. So I love to cook and believe me, I loved my natural gas stove. I did. Um, but then I found out, I mean, obviously I knew it produced heat trapping gases. I knew that I was a scientist, but I found out that then they were starting to measure the air pollution levels inside the house when you burn natural gas on your stove. And it was horrifying. The levels of pollution it produces that your family's breathing in, in the kitchen I mean, as soon as I heard that, that's when I pulled the plug on the stove hmm. and I got an induction stove, which now that I'm used to it, I'm actually really happy with it. But it was the immediate benefits of not burning that stuff inside our house that really made me a climate scientist switch. Right. Um, and that's something that I feel like has not quite hit the headlines yet. And when it does hit the headlines, <laughs> there will be some big changes happening sure. because we don't, we want our kids to be safe. I mean, imagine as a mother, you know, that I am willingly and knowingly bringing something that harms my children's lungs into the house. I was horrified when I found that out. Um, in terms of other things, you know, I totally understand the truck thing. I mean, I remember I was talking with a local producer here in West Texas, a cotton producer about um, rainfall and drought and how he's seen the impacts on his crops. And then sort of out of nowhere, we weren't talking about climate change or anything. Out of nowhere, he said defensively, but I need my truck. I'm a farmer. I need my truck. And I was like, yeah, I understand. You need your truck. But that's changing too. You know, the Ford 150, which is the best-selling truck, right? Mm -hmm. It's electric now. And yeah. they even have a Hummer that's electric in a pickup form and a regular Hummer. In fact, you can't even buy a regular Hummer. You can only buy an electric one. And oh. they're fast. I don't know if you've driven an electric vehicle, but these yeah. things are fast. Like the Tesla accelerates so fast that you can leave your stomach in the back seat, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so be very careful with that. So, so one of my colleagues, another climate scientist, a guy called Michael Mann, he wrote this great essay for Time a couple of years ago, and I quoted in my book, and he says, you know, we don't need to ban cars, we need to electrify them. We don't need to ban beef, we just need to get rid of those, you know, the $1 hamburgers that are caught, that, that people can literally grow through industrial agriculture that's horrible for animals, horrible for pollution, horrible for the environment. We need to invest in free range grazing like we do so much of here in Texas. And you might not be able to get the $1 burger anymore, but you can get higher quality meat. And when those cows graze, they're actually putting carbon back in the soil as they graze. Mm -hmm. And there's supplements like probiotics. I'm serious, actual probiotics that you can give cows so that they digest their food better and they don't belch so much methane, which is a big part of the problem. So mm -hmm. there's things that we can do that improve the quality of how we treat animals. It improves our stewardship of the land. Um, it improves the quality of our food. But, you know, we eat a lot more beef than we have to. So, you know, eat less beef, but better quality beef mm -hmm. and things that improve the quality of, you know, the air in our house that our kids are breathing, um, the vehicles we're driving. When we start talking about what real solutions look like, most people are like, wow, I actually do want that. Tell me more. Where can I find mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're not doing. We're not talking about those things. Tell, tell me more about how your faith explicitly informs your, your work as a climate scientist. Like, how does it explicitly drive it? What, 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 uh, what in the tenets of the Christian faith or what in the Christian scriptures do you draw a direct line from that to your work as a climate scientist. And you would also then draw a direct line to all of our co kind of collective Christian responsibility to be engaged in this conversation. The reason I'm a climate scientist is because I'm a Christian. And I was, I grew up in a home where my dad was a science teacher and he was also an elder in the local church. And so I grew up with the idea that the Bible is God's written word and creation is God's express word. And if the two appear to be in conflict, well, if they were created by the same person, they can't innately conflict with each other. It's just our human understanding that's at fault. We interpret the Bible through some pretty thick cultural glasses today. And at the same time, you know, our science is never perfect. We're always discovering new things. So I was fascinated by science and I was actually studying astrophysics in university. That's what I was planning on doing. Um, when in, in one of those, um, accidents that is no accident at all when you look back on it. Yeah. I needed an extra class uh, to finish my degree. And I looked over and there's this brand new class that had just become available on climate science. I thought, well, that looks interesting. 
So I took it and I was completely shocked because I had always thought of climate change as an environmental issue. You have biodiversity loss, you have deforestation, you have climate change, and there are all these environmental issues that environmentalists care about. And if we're Christians, we call it creation care. And it, it dovetails very well with Genesis 1-1, where it says God has given you responsibility over every living thing on this earth. In fact, the previous part of the verse is amazing. It talks about how God has made humans in his image, which we all learned about in Sunday school, but we never learned that there's a so that. So we were made in God's image so that we could be responsible for every living thing on this planet. So we often think of creation care, caring for the environment, stewardship as something about caring for plants and animals and other non-human living things. But in that class, I learned that climate change is not only an environmental issue. It is literally a health issue. It is an economic issue. It's a national security issue. Military leaders have a lot to say about climate change. Yeah. And most of all, it is a poverty issue and a hunger issue and a humanitarian issue because it directly affects the poorest people in the world. The 3.5 billion poorest in the world have contributed to 10% of this blanket that we're wrapping around the planet. So three and a half billion poorest, 10% of the blanket, yet they are the ones who are suffering the greatest impacts. In fact, since the 1960s, the gap between the richest and poorest people in the world has increased by 25% thanks to climate change alone. Hmm. And when I found that out, um, you know, I, I was a missionary kid. Um, I spent a few years living in South America and I had, I had friends who lived below the poverty line. I know what that looks like. I know how vulnerable people are to drought and to storms and to floods and to, you know, when the harvest fails, they can't feed their family. And so to me, it's not only about caring for creation in terms of, you know, plants and animals and non-humans. It's about loving each other. It's about how Jesus said in the book of John that you should be recognized by your love for others. And your love for others includes caring for the poor and the widows and the orphans and those less fortunate than us. Climate change truly is a threat multiplier, as the military calls it. It takes every issue that we care about as Christians. We care about people who cannot feed their families. We care about people who are suffering today. And climate change is making all of that worse. And so that, for me, was really the clincher. That was what made me think, I need to do everything I can to help fix this problem because it's not fair. It is not just. And we are told that justice is important. We're told that mercy is important. We're told that humility is important, not feeling like we're the lords of the <laughs> lords of the earth. We have it in trust to the true owner of this planet, which is God. And we are told most of all that as Christians, we are supposed to be recognized in the world by our love for others. Imagine how different the world would be if that is truly how we were recognized today. So you're making the case that our taking action on climate change is not an act of hubris, but an mm -hmm. act of humility. And, and I use the word hubris because that's some of the some of the pushback that I that I've heard is, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's an expression our uh, our approach to a changing climate ha has been uh, an expression of an increasingly humanistic world, meaning we we've placed man at the center of things and kind of deified our power and our impact and our purpose, mm -hmm. and and so in we have we have then overplayed the impact we've had on the planet, and then we're also overplaying. The, the capacity that we have as human beings to save it. And so there, there are some who said, well, it's an act of hubris to say that we've had this much impact and that also that we can then save this thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But what you're saying is that it's almost the exact opposite, that for us to engage with this, it, it is an act of and requires a great deal of humility. That is exactly what I'm saying. The idea that we have dominion over the planet, which is the word used in the King James, has been twisted and warped to somehow we can do anything we want to the planet. We can just take out all of the resources and consume everything. And who cares about all the animals that are going extinct? Who cares about all the poor people who are suffering the impact of our choices? When things get bad enough, we'll just push the eject button, Maranatha, come Lord, come. The absolute arrogance in assuming that everything is here for only the use of those who have the power and the wealth in this world is an absolutely, um, it's a flesh attitude. 
it's not the fruit of the spirit. It's not love, joy, patience, kindness, long suffering. It is greed. It is hubris. It's the idea that we are in charge. So we get to do whatever we want. And who cares if 9 million people are dying because of the, the air pollution that's coming out of the tailpipes of our cars. I need my car. Now, again, don't get me wrong. It's not about taking away people's cars. It's about saying, hey, everybody needs to be able to transport themselves like we do, especially in poor countries. So how about doing it in a way that doesn't produce all this air pollution that chokes the air and and makes people sick and even kills them, you know? But you're absolutely right. It It is complete hubris to say we can conduct an unprecedented experiment with the only planet we have, a planet that should be very gradually cooling right now, according to natural factors. But we humans have so disrupted the natural factors and the God's natural design that it is warming faster and faster. And it is 100% our fault. We cannot understate that. It absolutely is. And then there's a further act of hubris in completely ignoring what God's creation is telling us. If God's creation was truly created by God, and if science is just trying to figure out what God was thinking when he set the whole thing up in the first place, then should we not also be listening not only to what the Bible says, and the Bible has plenty to say about not only caring for each other and the poorest and most vulnerable, and not only being responsible for every living thing, but at the end of the Bible in Revelation, it literally says God will destroy those who destroy the earth. (laughs) So we're not only not listening to the Bible, we're not even listening to God's other book, Nature Creation, either. So my, my favorite verse has, has nothing to do with, um, with the world or nature or anything like that. My favorite verse is in Timothy. When Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, and I think this is so relevant for all of us today, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. When we think about how we Christians are reacting to the world around us today, isn't fear at the root of a lot of our reactions? And he goes on, he says, but God has given you this. He's given you a spirit of power. Now, that's kind of an old-fashioned word, but what that means today is to be empowered means you're able to act rather than being frozen. Like fear often freezes you or paralyzes you. It causes you to dig in your heels and say, no, I don't want to change. I don't want anything to happen. Well, we've been given a spirit of power, which means we are able to act. We've been given a spirit of love, which means that action can consider and have compassion over others, not just considering our own needs. And then the last one is actually my favorite as a scientist. We've been given a sound mind to make good decisions based on the information that God gives us in his creation and in his word. You talk in your book about overcoming some of the polarization that exists around this issue by having conversations around shared values. In fact, at the outset of of this interview, you said this is the one thing that we can do to make a a tremendous impact on on this issue is to have conversations. Would would you be willing to give me a converse, uh, an example rather of what that looks like in everyday life? Because I, many people perhaps aren't around the dinner table talking about climate change, uh, but what, so what does that look like in everyday life? A conversation around shared values that can help us uh, move the needle on climate change. Mm -hmm. So, so in my book, Saving Us, I describe um, all kinds of conversations I've had. And of course, some don't go well. And honestly, I think you you learn the most from those ones, probably (laughs) what not to do next time. But many go really well. And those types of conversations always begin with something we agree on rather than something we disagree on. If we're beginning the conversation by disagreeing with someone, it usually just goes downhill from there. Mm -hmm. So if we can begin the conversation with something that we agree on, it might be something we're both worried about, like the fact that it's getting so hot in the summer, I just don't feel safe letting my child play outside for too long. Or the wildfire smoke, you know, especially out West has just been so choking. I couldn't even let my kids out the door for three weeks because I didn't want them breathing all that wildfire smoke in. So starting with something that you know the other person would also care about, and you, you both care about it because you're a good parent, you know, you're a good mom, like that's who you are and that's why you care. And then connecting the dots, like, hey, did you know that wildfire is burning more and more area now than it used to because it's getting hotter and drier? Or did you know that our high temperature days are getting a lot higher now because, uh, because you know, the whole planet's warming? So you're connecting the dots right there to something people care about. And then where do you go from there? This is equally important. Bring in something positive. 
bring in a, did you know? It's really cool and really exciting and really surprising for people to realize, hey, guess what? That giant boulder is not at the bottom of the hill and I'm asking you to put your hand on it and try to push it up the hill and it's never gonna get there. The giant boulder is already at the top of the hill and it's going down the hill. And so say, hey, well, did you know that one of the biggest solutions to this whole problem is to start using more wind and solar energy instead of um, in, instead of fossil fuels. And, you know, I was looking into solar panels and it turns out that there's a great rebate and this is how much it costs. And I was thinking about it. Have you ever thought about that? And it turns out it's contagious. The number one predictor of whether someone has solar panels is if somebody else within about a mile and a half of their house has them. Really? Or you can say, hey, did you know, like, um, you know, the city of Houston already has a climate action plan, and that includes making sure that our homes aren't going to flood or they're planting more trees to help cool down our neighborhoods that are getting too hot. Isn't that awesome? Did you know that you can do your part? And the biggest thing we can do is just talk about this issue so people understand why it's important. Mm -hmm. Did you know that there's little things that we can do? Like I found this great book that I was reading to my kid. It's not a doom filled book about how we're all going to hell in a handbasket. It's a book about what kids can do in schools. That has just been amazing. What you would believe what kids are doing in schools these days. Or did you know that Part of the way that we can contribute is not only looking at where we get our energy, but looking at our food. And I've been, um, you know, trying out a few new plant-based recipes. We're not going to go off meat hundred percent, but like every Monday, we're going to try to just eat something that only has, you know, it's only veggies or food waste. We throw out 50% of the food that we produce and people go hungry. So I, I found this great program where you can buy like seconds and vegetables and fruit that are a little bit bruised or just past their date. And for every bag that I buy, they give a bag to someone in a low-income neighborhood in my town. Do you want to sign up for that too? So find some solutions that just really get you excited, that, that make you feel like everybody needs to know this. And when you have those conversations, bring that solution up. And those conversations will end in a completely different place than if we're talking about polar bears in Antarctica. Catherine, I love your your joy and your positivity. Uh, please, please tell me we're we're headed in a good direction. That momentum is on our side on this. That's what I sense from you. Is that am I accurate in sensing that in you? Well, so this is the way I think about it. We that giant boulder of climate action is already at the top of the hill. It really is, and it's already rolling down the hill in the right direction. So last year during COVID, ninety percent of new energy installed around the world some of it in some of the poorest parts of the world where they don't have a lot of coal or gas or oil, 90% of the new energy was clean energy, wind or solar energy. Um, we know that a lot of countries, including the US and a lot of cities, including Houston and Dallas and San Antonio and Austin and even El Paso, a lot of cities are doing smart things to help fix the problem. So the boulders rolling down the hill in the right direction. It's already got millions of hands on it. It's got the Evangelical Environmental Network. It's got young evangelicals for climate action, over 20,000 kids around the country who are advocating at their schools and their colleges and their universities to get them to be part of the solution. We've got the World Evangelical Alliance that represents 600 million evangelicals around the whole world. They take climate change very seriously. And in fact, I'm their climate ambassador. And of course, we've got, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and we've got the Pope, we've got the Patriarch of the Orthodox Church. We've got all kinds of people with their hands on that boulder. But as a scientist, I know that that boulder is not going fast enough yet. It's heading in the right direction, but it's not fast enough to avoid the most serious impacts. And again, it's not about the planet, it's about us. So we need more hands on the boulder. And that's where every single one of us comes in. Because if you look at how the world has changed before, like, and this is coming full circle to where we started. Like, okay, so just look at slavery. Did the King of England wake up one day and decide, oh, I have to end slavery? No, that was not the way it happened. It happened because ordinary people, not even very special people, not very rich people, not very powerful people, ordinary people, many of them Christians, <laughs> decided that this is not fair. This is not fair. This is not the way the world should be. So they used their voices. Those of them who had slaves freed their slaves, but many didn't. And just like, just like us, you know, most of us are not CEOs of those 90 companies that are responsible for two thirds of the heat trapping gases <laughs> since the dawn of the industrial era. So many of them were not large slave owners. They didn't have much they could do personally, but they had a voice and they used their voice to advocate for change. And they got together with others, often in their churches. And they talked about what they could do as a group in their church and how they could do more. And guess what? 
they put their hands on that boulder and that's how the boulder got rolling faster. And eventually there were enough hands on the boulder to finally get through to the prime minister, to the King of England, and then eventually in the United States, which unfortunately took a civil war to do this, to get through to enough people that finally the world changed. And it all began with ordinary people. And so that's why I called my book Saving Us, because it's up to all of us to save us with the power, with the love, and with the sound mind that God has given us. Alongside your book, Saving Us, are are there other resources that you might point us to as we want to dive deeper into this? Absolutely. I love recommending resources because there's so many good ones. So I know that there are so many, but what about questions about the science? Because I get them on social media every single day. So the best resource for that is a resource called skepticalscience.com. It was created by my colleague, John Cook, who is a believer himself, and he tracks nearly 200, but what about questions about climate change? But what about volcanoes? But what about the sun? But what about, you know, isn't CO2 plant food? He tracks almost 200 questions and he provides answers to them. So if you want answers to sciencey sounding objections, just go to skepticalscience.com and he has your answers right there. He's got like short answers, medium answers, and then he's got the full enchilada answer if you really want to go all the way down. Um, And then I have a YouTube series myself called Global Weirding. And the reason I called it Global Weirding is because that's what we're seeing. It is global weirding. Things are just getting weird. Everybody knows it is getting weird. We might not know why, but we know it is. So in Global Weirding, I've got about 30 different short videos, and I'm actually making a new season just right now, that answer frequently asked questions like, you know how we're talking about the sun and natural cycles and volcanoes? I've got a video saying, you know, isn't it just a natural cycle? And I go through and explain how we know it isn't. But here's the crazy thing. You would never believe, well, maybe you would believe, um, in all of these videos I made, a lot of them are sort of sciencey ones, like it's just a few degrees, so what's the big deal? Or, you know, why, does, why, sh- why, why should we care about climate change in Texas? But I did make one video that says, what does the Bible say about climate change? And I made it just because I wanted a resource to send to people when they say, well, God's in control, so humans can't affect the planet or the world's going to end anyway, so why do we care? So I made this one episode and you wouldn't believe it, that was the most watched episode for years. What does the Bible say about climate change? Everybody wanted to see it. So I've got that. And then also on social media, especially on Facebook, but I am on other social media too, but especially on Facebook, I try to post a lot about science and faith and climate change and Christianity. Um, And then um, I would recommend also on social media, follow some great Christian organizations like World Vision, Tear Fund, Arasha, which is a Christian conservation organization, Plant with Purpose, Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, if you're under 30. (laughs) Um, I hate to say I have passed that long time ago. Same. Um, Evangelical Environmental Network. They even have an EEN moms group that I follow too. I have an organization called Science Moms that's all about moms who care about climate change for their kids' sake. So follow someone on social media, follow one or more on social media, and then amplify their voices, share their posts, and then have these conversations in your church. And on my website, which is just my name, katherinehayhoe.com, on my website, I have frequently asked questions. And one of the questions is, what should I do at my church? And so I actually have all these ideas of what you can do at your church to help amplify this message, to help people understand that, hey, if we truly take the Bible seriously, if we actually believe what we what we say we do, what the Bible says, then caring about and acting on this issue is not inconsistent or incompatible with who we are. In fact, it truly is a genuine expression of our faith and a genuine expression of the love that God has poured out in our hearts to share with others. Catherine Hayo, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having this conversation with us. My pleasure. Catherine Hayhoe for the win. She Man, is how delightful is she? Yeah, delightful is a really good word. She's yeah. she is so unbelievably positive mm-hmm. and joyful and hopeful. It is 
it, it is contagious. You know, you say that about people sometimes, like, oh, their joy is contagious, and right. it's kind of like a, this throwaway line. With with with, with Catherine Hayhoe, it, it it's legit real. Like she's she's joyful, she's positive, and you can't help but 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 take some of that with you as you talk about uh, all this stuff with her. And we're talking about climate change, which is not typically thought of as like this this joyful thing. But man, man, she is she is so wise and yet so positively passionate about this that you can't help but be uh, be taken by it. You know, I feel like sometimes you meet these people in the wild who they, you can honestly say they are doing what God created them to do. And that's what you get in her. She's so comfortable in her skin. She is excited to talk about it. She'll tell you the hard truths and she'll go into those things, but she has a mission and a ministry and a passion and she lives that out. And that is so exciting to see. I mean, that's what I think is so contagious when you see somebody who loves what they're doing. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that, that struck me when we were talking to her was, you know, she to me is like the best embodiment of like what we're we're trying to accomplish on this podcast. When you know, when when we started this show, we wanted to take big, difficult issues and make them really simple, and 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 so people can walk away going, I understand that better, and I and I kind of know what I can do with that information too. Absolutely. And boy, does she do that better than anybody else when it comes to climate change? Like she breaks it down into really uh, bite-sized, palatable yet nutritious nutritious pieces where you, you can say, I really, I really grasped this thing. And now I know what I can do. If I want to do something about this, I now know what I can do. Uh, yeah. that, that's what I really appreciate about her. And, and I also love that she comes at it from the perspective of faith. Like she's doing this yeah. because she's a Christian, not in spite of it. What, what did you love, Rachel? You know, I left that conversation just feeling um, hopeful, you know, like I said, and, and it's the first time I've learned from somebody really knowledgeable in this area. And I left the conversation feeling like, no, we we could be headed in the right direction. Like she says yeah. that boulders at the top of the hill. It's not at the bottom line. We're pushing it up like Prometheus. We're at the top of the hill and it's just, it needs the momentum and it's getting the momentum and it will go down. And um, I just, I was like, it made me feel so empowered. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we can, I, I can do this. We can do this. We can keep going with it. Because like I said, it can feel so overwhelming. Like what am I, my person yeah. with my little four fam, four, four person household going to do? But yeah, it, it makes a difference. It matters. And, um, you know, I, I, gosh, I'm getting so excited talking about this. And, um, the other thing that I really took away is I liked her perspective of she's not trying to save the planet. She's saving us. She's like, this is for our benefit. This is for our good. This creation is for us to enjoy. And I just, um, it totally changed my perspective. And I have such a, like I said, I just feel empowered. I'm like, okay, I can be a part of this. We can do this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel the feel the exact same way, and and I think that that's why you know her content has just gone viral on with a TED talk and why she's invited on places like like Jimmy Kimmel to talk about this because she 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 puts it right in our hands. We we know after talking to her what we can do to to take action on this if we feel led to, if we feel feel led to do so, and you know I I also appreciate and I've touched on this a number of times. I just appreciate how she's driven by her faith, not in spite of her faith. Mm-hmm. That this really is for her a matter of integrity with her faith. Like if she really believes that that God made everything, if she really believes that this planet and our own existence is a gift and that it's been handed to humanity to care for it, to steward it, to manage it well, that we can't not care about what's happening to our world right. and that we we have to take notice. I also love how, you know, so clearly and confidently she takes certain certain arguments off the table. You know, the, yeah. the argument of, well, maybe mankind's not at the center of this. And and speaking with such authority, she can say, well, no, we, we've looked at all the other potential causes. And I'm here to say to you right. that we, we, we tried to find other answers to why this is happening. None of those pan out. It has to be us. We play at the very least some some factor in, in what's happening here. Yeah. I, I love how she just kind of takes some of those arguments away. I, I also yeah. appreciate I, I can't I can't stop talking here. I, I also appreciate how she she addressed just, you know, the argument of inconvenience. Yeah. Of how, you know, one of the things that people say is, well, I'm gonna have to, you know, lose my truck or, you know, mm-hmm. get rid of my stove or stop eating meat. And and she takes she tackles that head on and she doesn't yeah. She doesn't shy away from that. She says, yeah, yeah, there, there's going to be life change that's demanded. But again, for a person of faith, she frames it in light of love of neighbor, sacrifice for the sake of every everyone else's benefit. Right. And she doesn't shy away, you know, in that same vein, that um, the reason it feels divisive and political and um, like like we've been sold something that's not true. And that's that's by design. Like it is mm. by design and she doesn't shy away from talking about that and just bringing that reality of like, 
you know, there's science and there's things you can look at. And then there is an industry working against us to make you think this is not something like that it's a political issue and it shouldn't be a political issue, but to be able to say, no, that's by design and, and mm -hmm. to look at that with fresh eyes and just say, knowing that, what is my perspective then? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, some might say, well, that's a really cynical view of things, but you know, she, she made a good point where, well, we look at other issues and other things in history where, where money has shaped money and power have shaped yeah. the narrative that's, that's, that's given to the public about, about what the problem is. And she, you know, she pointed that, you know, she, she pointed us back to, uh, she pointed us back to, um, what happened with nicotine cigarettes yeah. and, you know, she makes the case that the same thing is, is happening with, with, with power, uh, with energy and uh, as a result with the climate. Well, you know, and so knowing that you can, you can at least hear that and say, I want to be open to changing my perspective or mm -hmm. to at least, you know, even if you hear that and you're like, oh, even saying that becomes divisive. I was like, well, just know having that knowledge, it's just another perspective. Just think about it and it can help, yeah. you know, maybe that'll help you. So after hearing her conversation, I'm super jazzed to like, what can I do? What can we do as a family? So like, what's one thing you left with thinking like, I can make this change or my family can make this change. Like what's something that got you excited for, you know, well, what can I do besides just throwing everything into recycling and hoping they sort it out? Well, you know, I think that the, the most immediate and probably most profound thing I can do is start having conversations about this with my family, because it's yeah. not something we've talked about. We talk about other kind of burning, pressing, you know, cultural or social issues around our dinner table. We don't shy away from those things, but I'll, I'll be honest, this is not one of the things we've brought up. Yeah. We, we've not talked about climate change. I, I'm not totally sure why, mm -hmm. but, you know, having talked to, to Catherine, I now feel like I not only can, I feel, I, I know that I know that I should. And so I think one big change we can make in our houses is, is make this one of the several things that we as a family have decided to care about. Mm -hmm. And so having those conversations and, 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 and putting it on the list of things that we, we as a family will be passionate about and then deciding together, well, what can we do to make sure that we, we limit our impact and yeah. we, and, and also I get to frame it with my kids as this is because, because we're people of faith, we're going to have this conversation and because we're mm -hmm. people of faith we're going to maybe adjust some of the things that we do at at cost to ourselves for the sake of benefiting everybody else it, it fits so perfectly so I, I love that that we can not only have conversations but I can use it as as honestly an opportunity to disciple my kids in their faith a little bit yeah oh absolutely that's beautiful um and, and I think that's what I took from this too is like we can have a conversation like does it um and again just feeling so encouraged that like having low energy light bulbs is not nothing um, yeah. Working towards an electric car is not nothing. Eating meat uh, less or doing meatless once or twice a week is not nothing. Like these are things that um, they make a difference and it does matter. And it starts with having conversations with your friends, with your family and planting those seeds. And uh, mm -hmm. I just, I, I cannot tell you, I think they're one of the reasons you and I are both so energetic and so hyper about this is because um, of the hope and the encouragement and the like, yes, I can do something and it can make a difference. And it doesn't have to mean I, um, I sell my cars today and switch to solar power and all like, it doesn't have to be big. It can be, it can start small. Yeah. And I think, I think our energy and excitement around this, which is, which is, which is genuine. We had just a delightful conversation with her. I think it's also a testament to the power of positive conversations around this issue and others that they really can make an impact because you and I are coming away from this conversation with Catherine. You know, we weren't talking with excited voices about climate change prior to this, but this, <laughs> right. this, this one conversation really moved the needle for you and me personally because yeah. she's she's so winsome and so effective and and i think so it's a testament to the power of the conversations we could all have like don't underestimate the power of just saying well let's just fold this into the things we care about and the things we talk about because uh, you and i are living proof that that, yep. that can actually make a difference for you make a dent in yeah. how you actually live and think so uh to finish this up then Otherwise, we'll just talk over and over about how much we love her and how excited we are about the environment now. Um, yeah. I definitely think getting her book, people should check out her book, Saving Us. Um, mm -hmm. But what final thoughts do you would you leave this conversation with? Yeah. Well, here's how I would make this simple. You know, I'll leave it to Professor Professor Hayhoe to make climate change simple <laughs> and and understanding it through a Christian lens simple. Well, what I'll say is this: is I, I would just encourage people of faith 
who have have solely seen climate change through a political lens to just consider looking at it through a different filter, in particular, the filter of scripture, the filter of faith, and the filter of love of neighbor. You know, what, what does, if you're a person of faith, what, what, is, what does God's word say about the planet, about creation, and about the, the gift that it is to us? What is it, and what does it call us to do with it? Uh, through the lens of faith, uh, what does uh, what does uh, God invite us to trust trust Him with? Uh, well, he, he invites us to trust Him with um, uh, the the future of all things. But we play a part in that. So then, what is our part to play in this life we live of uh, of of believing that God is going to bring all things to a beautiful conclusion? Maybe we have a part to play in that. Maybe we have a part to play in bringing a little bit of the new creation to Earth right now by trying to care for and steward and bring beauty to this creation. And then and then look at it through the lens of love of neighbor. Uh, yes, caring about this may very well inconvenience you in, in certain relatively superficial ways, but isn't that what the whole Christian story is is ultimately all about? And to some degree to some small degree, isn't it about uh, people of God uh, at cost to themselves? Uh, bringing benefit and beauty and blessing to the people around them, because that's what God in Christ has done for all of us. So I just encourage you to wrestle with this, not through a political lens, not through the lens of how it can convenience me, uh, but just through the lens of of scripture, of faith, of, of love of neighbor, and then see where you land. That's what I would say. That's beautiful. Well, Rachel, this was a really good conversation, and I think we should just keep going. Let's, let, let's keep talking to, to more and more people. So what do you say uh, we do this again? I love it. I'm for it. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. And communications is done by Danielle Chisler. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.